Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're talking with Paul Singh, co-founder and chief revenue officer of Bump Health, a company on a mission to make 200 million moms' lives easier and a goal to be worth $200 billion. Bump Health offers consumer goods for the entire life cycle of the motherhood experience, as well as services and other offerings that allow them to monetize their audience in a way that the mega incumbents as well as the upstart competitors just can't match. This podcast is a real real call to action for all entrepreneurs, urging you to think bigger about how to evolve from a product company to a distribution channel that owns your audience's affinity for their entire customer life cycle. I hope that you can listen to this and start imagining what your company looks like at $200 billion. On with the show. I really do believe in the context of DTC that the future of DTC belongs to the companies that are ambitious enough to want to own the entire affinity group, right? If you own that affinity group, you have a duty to start expanding across the wallet, across the adjacent spaces, because in the worst case scenario, those multiple business units do insulate you against various risks to the company. And in the best case scenario, they all compound. This podcast is sponsored by Klaviyo, the email and text marketing platform that puts D2C brands in control. If you're the leader of a D2C brand, you need a platform that hustles as hard as you do. Klaviyo unlocks the power of your e-commerce data so you can personalize and automate messages that keep customers coming back. D2C brands communicate with Klaviyo. Get started for free at klaviyo.com slash DTC. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Paul. I have been following some of your content you put out on LinkedIn, and I'm just really impressed with the way that you're thinking about the growth of your business. And I wanted to just ask, what's your message to the D2C world right now about, about growth in the next couple of years? I appreciate it. I'm, I'm relatively new to LinkedIn, been on Twitter for quite a while and realized the big kids and the grownups hang out on LinkedIn. So I'm trying that out. But uh yeah, I am uh, pretty opinionated um, about this idea that not enough people across the DTC community are thinking big enough. And to clarify, I don't want to make that sound negative. What I mean to say is, is that every company, DTC and otherwise, starts product-centric. You have to start by making something people want, learning how to sell it, going deeper into building that funnel, you know, all the things that we all talk about, everything that's on this podcast. What I think is not discussed uh, often enough across the community is then what? You started out product-centric, you built the funnel, you built the team, you built a reasonable business, it's growing, good people, but then what? And I think the topic that's missing is when and how do DTC entrepreneurs make the conscious shift from being product-centric to distribution-centric? What do you mean by that? So uh, the best example I think about is the old days. You know, let's look at the the high level history of companies like Microsoft, Cisco, uh, Amazon, you know, all these things, right? All these companies, if you really look at their history and you boil it up into one sentence, what it is, is they spent their first few years deeply focused on a product-centric business. And I'll give you an example here in a moment. And then you can clearly see where they then realize that they owned the distribution channel to that affinity group because of that original product. At that point, they flip and they start doing something different. So let me give you an example. When Microsoft started, you know, and by the way, for the history buffs here, don't crucify me here. I'm, I'm really just kind of high-leveling this out. But Microsoft started out early on as an operating system company. They, they built DOS, 
They tried to shove it onto computers, sell it, all that. And then high level in the early 80s, they get the deal with IBM. And now all of a sudden, uh, the operating system is on hundreds of thousands and millions of devices and growing, right? And they started realizing, gosh, we should just do that. But then the most pivotal moment is they realize, wait a second, our software is everywhere. We own the channel. What are people doing on top of that channel? Well, uh, they use our operating system to write documents, to make spreadsheets, to do all these things, right? And so what, they, what did they do next? They went on a mission to build or buy all the tools that those users used. I mean, that's what Microsoft Office is today. And um, it's not a one-off. Amazon did the same thing. Cisco did the same thing. Procter & Gamble. All these other large companies have done this thing. Whether they did it consciously or not, they all made this, this decision to, to go beyond being product-centric and seeing themselves instead as a distribution-centric company with a mandate to build or buy as many other products as they could and shove them right into that, that, that distribution channel that they really own. So that, that's a lot to kind of absorb there. And I, I know it's a, a big one. So let me, let me pause there. We can kind of go in any, any direction you want here. Well, let's apply it to bump a little bit specifically because you mentioned, um, you know, you want to develop the distribution channel. The distribution channel is fully reliant on product, but it's also reliant on product market fit. And just to talk about Bump Health a little bit, you know, what's your mission with Bump Health? Uh, the mission of Bump Health is to protect moms and the families they love. Why I say that is because if you look at the broad, I mean, the way I think about this is that, you know, I look at my wife, we've got three kids. I look at my wife and I, you know, on the one hand, women's health, women's like things around women's life have generally gotten better over the scope of the last 100, 200, 300 years, right? Generally speaking, right? But if I showed up 40 minutes late to this meeting, you probably wouldn't wait. You probably wouldn't accept another meeting invite. But for example, cliche example, but I'm going to throw it out there. But a woman fi finds out she's pregnant. She schedules a doctor's visit with her OB three weeks in advance. And lo and behold, the doctor's still running 40 minutes behind. Like it's somehow okay. And so I, I like the emotional way that I like to describe why we exist is, is this. If, if I pushed, if I physically pushed your mother right now and you saw it, you would naturally have this vicious, visceral response, right? But if I make it subtle, if I make the cart checkout process a little bit more painful, if I kind of make it a little harder for her to get the healthcare she needs, if I make it a little harder for her to choose what exactly is safe for her pregnancy, nobody says a word because it's expected. It's, it's so subtle. And, um, so emotionally, I felt really strongly, uh, and we feel really strongly that we want to protect moms and the families they love. But uh, from a pure business standpoint, it's just a huge market. I mean, this is, you know, Tam, I mean, everybody's got a mom, right? 50%, 51% of the planet is women. So anyway, I don't know if I'm answering your question here, but Bump Health exists to make life better for moms. And that's a very broad mission. Is that what you started with or has it expanded out to that? Uh, well, yeah, man, I can rewrite history here and, and tell you like everything that, that, that uh, you want to hear or I want to say. But the truth of it is, it's probably a little bit of both. You know, um, so Bump Boxes, uh, our first business line was actually founded by uh, two of my co-founders. And uh, I ran into them. Uh, about three years after they had started, they were kind of in the middle of like early stage growth, you know, I think uh, probably at a two or $3 million run rate, something like that. They had done a lot 
without any outside funding and, and things like that. I ran into them uh, as an angel investor, kind of thought about it. And the long and short of it is kind of started thinking about like, wait a second, this could be bigger. Like box businesses themselves aren't that interesting as an investor. I'm in another, I wear another hat where I, I invest in about 200 new startups every year personally. And that's, that's how I met them. And the long and short of it is like, I thought they were really interesting, you know, really great people. We had a really great rapport. Um, I did not invest in the the core business at the time. I think it was about a week or so later, kind of flew back into town. I was like, you yeah, know, well, maybe we could figure something out. And from there, it just kind of grew. Now, back then, to be honest with you, like the internal name was, we just kind of called it Bump Industries. We were like, man, we were just going to like build a bunch of businesses all around the bump, you know? Uh, but, you know, as we got bigger and more mature and more staff, you know, we didn't want that negative name. And, you know, so, so in a lot of the, a lot of the history is kind of, you know, a little convoluted, but um, th this is why we all work well together though, you know? So, so I wanted to drill in specifically, what are you doing at Bump Health then to think bigger? What are your lofty goals, by the way, with Bump Health? And, and what are you actively tactically doing to get there? Yeah. Okay. So high level, let's start out with a, a, a you know, mental diagram of what bump health is. So if, if we had a whiteboard in front of us, I would draw one big box and label it bump health. And here we are uh, in late 2021. At this point in time, there are four sub boxes inside of bump health. So the first sub box, and I'll explain all these in a moment, but let me just kind of draw the mental diagram. So late 2021, what we look like is one big box called bump health four little boxes inside of it. The first box is called Bump Consumer. The second box is called Bump Wellness. The third box is called Bump Medical. The fourth box is called Bump Life. In a nutshell, what it is is Bump Consumer uh, contains all of our consumer-facing uh, business lines. So it includes Bump Boxes, Bitsy Boxes, Glow Organics, and a couple other things, prenatal vitamins. All, anything that we sell direct to consumer is handled under the Bump Consumer Business Unit. The second one, Bump Wellness, is essentially Bump Consumer, but white labeled for corporate sales. So we, uh, I don't want to like, um, you know, uh, 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 make it sound simpler than it is and offend my Bump Wellness team. But the reality is we take everything that we do on the Bump Consumer side, package it up in a different way that corporates love. Uh, so we power the maternity and paternity benefit programs for hundreds of well-known companies, mostly in the U.S. at the moment. Um, higher margin. The actual benefits, not just the products, like the actual benefits as well? Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So what that means is, for example, like the most common use case is that um, a company will want to incentivize their employees to tell them about the pregnancy sooner, and they want to support that pregnancy all the way through. Uh, postpartum, and you know it's all about retention, and you know that. So what'll happen is they'll just they'll uh, white label the box, they'll white label the subscription, they'll white label everything, um, sign on for larger annual contracts, you know that sort of thing. Um, the so that's Bump Wellness in a nutshell. Uh, Bump Medical, the core value prop there is is we extract every dollar owed to mom through her health insurance. Love this. Saw this on your LinkedIn post. I thought that I wasn't even aware of of this. Oh, it's such a big opportunity, and it's something that we've been massively, massively growing over the last eight or nine months since we launched that business unit. But the key there is, is that most moms, and, and by the way, that particular business unit only really serves moms in the United States at the moment, just given the way that healthcare works here. Uh, but the gist of it is, is that we, um, again, extract every dollar available 
on that mom's insurance plan and just send it to her. And, and man, you know, you were saying like even, a breast pump, a breast pump is, is like standard issue. Oh man. No one probably takes get me, them up on. Uh, I get so passionate about this. So, you know, here, here's the thing. Uh, and I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist here in a moment, but, uh, let me just kind of say it anyway. The way it works in the United States right now, for example, is that under the Affordable Care Act, everybody's got to have insurance, and that's kind of how it is, for better or for worse, that is what it is. And inside that ACA legislation, it basically says that, hey, moms deserve X, right? So they should have access to breast pumps. They should have access to, um, you know, compression gear, postpartum underwear is, is part of that, right? All, right? But here's how I like to explain it to my friends. It's it's all there, but there's so much friction in getting it that nobody really knows about it or does it. So for example, breast pumps, you know, here's a very important tool to feed that baby. But in order to get the benefit that's owed to you on the insurance plan, you have to go to a doctor and get a prescription for it. Now, what fires me up about that is that that disproportionately affects the weakest and poorest of our, of, our, of our society, the people that cannot take time off to go to the doctor, the people that cannot afford to wait 40 minutes uh, of a delay, you know, that sort of thing. So we think about it from the perspective of how can we apply technology to that industry and help mom extract it? And we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, the last business is Bump Life. Uh, that is designed to be what I call the Expedia of life, home, and auto insurance. Again, this particular business unit mostly focuses on the U.S. at the moment, very early stage. But the idea here is, is that uh, we are um, uh, helping mom and that family that she cares about decide and shop across all the, the different uh, carriers that are out there. I mean, the average American keeps the same car insurance for 18 years, not because they want to, but because it's hard to change. Uh, you have to load up 15 different websites and try, you know, it's, it's just, it's a pain. But at our core, what we really are is, is we're a mom acquisition company. And we're at this stage of our uh, maturity now where we, you know, we're uh, just now approaching a $40 million annual run rate. Our, our internal mandate is to grow 2x revenues every year. And we are consciously making that shift, particularly this year, from being product-focused, uh, product-centric, to moving into more um, distribution-centric focus. So we're starting to think about interesting topics like how do you programmatically uh, introduce moms from business unit A to business unit B? You know, I, I, I'm going to sound like I have a lot of <laughs> I'm probably not going to sound very humble when I say this, but I really do think, I, I tell our entire team that I really believe that where we are as a company today is where Amazon was in 2002. You've built a platform. You mentioned that you always had it in mind to be building a suite of products. And I think there's so many players in the space thinking about roll-ups, thinking about acquisitions. But this particular configuration where you're actually including these other things very valuable to the audience segment. So whether it's the credits that they're, they're getting from the government or the, the potential you know, LTV of an insurance program. Did you always want to do insurance right when you started basically? And I'm going to offend some part of your listeners here. Look, I don't think anybody actually wakes up in the morning and says, gosh, I really want to be in the insurance business. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing. I, I like to tell, so first of all, I do want to like, correct one thing. You know, um, you mentioned a few seconds ago, uh, you know, that I have built this. I want to be really clear that we have built it. You know, I, I, I think I don't want to take all the credit. We, we've got a hundred or so people now 
really great up, down, left, and right, and we couldn't do it alone. I certainly couldn't. Um, but yeah, look, I, here's the thing. I like to tell the team uh, that we're in the business of entrepreneurship, not innovation. And so what I mean by that is that, for example, insurance. Do we wake up in the morning? Did we wake up in the morning and say, gosh, we're excited about insurance? No. But the thing about it is we look around the industry, uh, for example, with durable medical equipment, uh, which is what that industry is called. And it's like, well, wait a second. You got a couple big incumbents that are over 10 years old making over $100 million without, uh, annually without any outside investors. And then on the other end of the barbell, you got a lot of regional players doing three, five, ten million million a year, all without venture funding. So they have already proven that you can build large businesses in that space. So then I look at it, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, what if we approached that business vertical with a deep understanding of today's technology, a deep understanding of today's digitally native mothers, and no legacy stakeholders or baggage? And so, for example, you know, when we got into the insurance industry, you know, people said it's hard, this, that, and the other, and I understand why. But, you know, we have now become the fastest growing DME that industry's ever seen. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of moms every month opting in for us to extract value. Um, What's your customer lifetime value versus their customer lifetime value? You know what I mean? I was talking with Josh Elizache, and he was talking about building a better mousetrap. It's not a nice way to put it necessarily, but if you but if you have all these multi-dimensional ways of monetizing a user over a period of time, you're going to be able to have a pretty strong pitch to potentially acquire people that are already in that space or to compete with them. Yeah. So if the question is uh, LTV, us versus them, you know, it depends on the industry, but let's just use uh, the insurance competitors on the DME side. Uh, high level, they're probably doing four or $500 per patient, you know, because there's only so much that they can, you know, get that mom, whether it's a, a pump or maybe compression gear. On the flip side, by the way, they, they don't have a lot of the in-house knowledge to, to figure out email marketing, drip campaigns, all that stuff. On the other side of that, our margins are much higher. We use technology to do most of it. Um, but also like our LTV is across multiple business units. So we're, we're in the thousands of dollars of LTV for, for a particular patient or mom, because not only can we extract every dollar that's owed to her, but because of our other various businesses, we're top of mind for her, you know, and, and, and I very think trusted brand, very trusted your distribution center. Bingo, right? bingo. And, you know, at the risk of this sounding like a big advertising for Bump Health, I guess the key message I want to get across to the, your podcast listeners today is that uh, you should take these ideas and apply your own business. Like everything I've just said about Bump Health, just replace it with your company's name and see where your brain goes on that. Because like, I really do believe in, in, in the context of DTC that the future of DTC belongs to the companies that are ambitious enough to want to own the entire affinity group, right? If you own that affinity group, you have a duty to start expanding across the wallet, across the adjacent spaces. Um, because in the worst case scenario, those multiple business units do insulate you against various risks to the company. And in the best case scenario, they all compound. Yeah. Are you building or buying these? We have historically uh, built them. We're now aggressively starting to buy. But, you know, the thing about it is, uh, and I think you alluded to this a few minutes ago, uh, the thing about this is that 
for us, the, the, the cost of companies is not really the issue. It's really the culture of the people. You know, if you were to pick any random set of five people of our company and line them up and, and, and sort of stereotype them, I think what you would find is that our, our, our team... We're optim. I know everybody says this, but let me just kind of say it before y'all like kind of mute me on the or turn me off on the podcast here. But like, w- the thing about us is culture. We want to assemble the most relentlessly resourceful but self-aware people we can find, and we optimize for that because the skills can be taught. You know, if you want to learn email marketing, we can do that. If you want to learn how to do operations and logistics, we can teach you that. But that culture is much harder. There's a, a much more uh, direct way I usually say it. It's a little bit more colorful and I'll not do that and, you know, <laughs> get beeped out here. <laughs> but I, the key thing I want to stress though is that everything we're talking about here, these ideas are completely applicable across the DTC space. And I wish more entrepreneurs would think this way. More operators should be thinking this way um, as well. Yeah. I think about Pilot House as a digital agency. We've started D2C now as a, as a company, as a content arm within that, that agency. Uh, and now, so how should D2C be thinking? We should be thinking about creating our own credit card that gives you cash back on your ad spend. We should Bingo. be thinking about, you know, I, now you're you know talking, what I mean? I mean? Like really sort of owning. I, I, and, and I swear, you know, I know, I don't, I don't think I mentioned this to you uh, in our pre-call interviews and stuff like that. Bump Finance is a business unit we've, we're starting to draw up already. Now we're probably a year or two away from it. But the way to think about this is that aside from medical issues, the number one reason why people put off having children is financial. I don't know what that means from a business standpoint, but directionally, what I know is, is if companies like Starbucks are making billions of dollars a year on the stored value cards, surely there's something here for us. Yeah. And what are the multiples on fintech companies? They're, they're Much good, bigger right? than uh, box companies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the key, by the way, right? Is that when you start to think about, let, let's just look at like Procter & Gamble, for example, not to pick on them or anything like that, but let's, let's look at them as like sort of the North Star here. Uh, those guys are 187 years old. And uh, I think last I checked, market cap was something like $360, $370 billion. Now, that's, that's a pretty big number, you know? Um, so when I think about like DTC, the thing about it is a lot of the DTC, the, late, the biggest wins in the DTC world have been, you know, let's call it billion dollar, maybe one to $10 billion sort of uh, SPACs or roll-ups or so, you know, something like that. And those are big numbers. Don't get me wrong. Like, I want to go bigger. You know, I, I kind of openly talk about this idea that I want to build a company that can last 200 years, be worth at least $200 billion and aim bigger because like, I'm not trying to be weird about it. I just, if we're going to do the work, let's make it something meaningful. Let's make it something bigger. And let's, let's, let's help hundreds of millions of moms over the course of the next decade, get everything they're owed. So again, I'll just kind of keep bringing it back to this idea that all of these ideas are applicable to other companies in the DTC space. And I love the way you were thinking about it just now. Owning um, the channel to this many marketers and you know this many bu- budgets, it has its, its benefits, right? And so, and I know that there are other players in the space looking to roll up. We have huge competitors. Like it really is for us, you know, just transparently, like we're at a point where we're like, okay, we, if we can keep growing, we've grown a lot through user acquisition on uh, Facebook and, uh, and TikTok. And we paid per user, those costs are going up astronomically. So we're starting to think, okay, what can we do out there? Who can we partner with? Or who can we acquire potentially even in order to to grow faster? Absolutely. Look, I, you know, there's other people that are probably more qualified to talk about this idea that I'm going to just throw out there right now. But I think now more than ever, given, you know, iOS 14.5 and everything we've all seen over the last four or five months, I think now more than ever, it is important 
for media companies to either start buying DTC companies or DTC companies to aggressively buy media companies. So for example, again, I'm, I hope I don't get like, you know, uh, 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 attacked here via hate mail or whatever, but we've had no attacks you know, on this podcast. As far as I know, we have a very nice audience. There's been no takedowns, attacks, anything. Here's the way I think about it, right? Like, I think the most interesting thing that's happened in the recent past that DTC companies are not talking quite enough about is what HubSpot did with their HubSpot podcast network. While everybody else was sitting there, you know, all the consultants were like, hey, here's your plan for iOS 14.5. And everybody's just kind of like blowing hot air at each other. What do those guys do? High level? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just watching it from the outside. They, they just went out and bought the top 10 or 20 business podcasts and rolled them up under the HubSpot podcast network and basically said, now you're on payroll. Please make, you know, 2x the content. No outside ads. Everything has to be about Hub HubSpot. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I love that. Right. And so, you know, what does that mean for you and me? I think, uh, and for the listeners, I think we should be asking ourselves like, Hey, what would the clear channels or iHearts look like if they never had uh, needed to depend on outside ad revenue? What if it was just for your own business units, you know? So like bump media could be, Hey, let's go hire the UGC inf uh, um, creators. Let's go reality uh, show. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Like, like it's, I was just talking to an executive from a publicly traded media company last week. And uh, you know what I said to them on the phone that are on zoom that day was I said like, look, the reality is, you know, it's more likely that we will pivot into media than it is for you to pivot into monetizing verticals or monetizing in ways that are outside of ad revenue. Like both of those are going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me and hard for you, but it is easier for me with the margins that I get from subscription revenue, healthcare revenue and all that to build or buy a media business. Like it's in our DNA. On the other side, you, you guys, you know, yes, you have big media properties, but you know, right now you're getting a couple bucks a CPA or CPM from your advertisers. And yes, you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, but like when you zoom out, it has declined year over year for the last three years. The ability to track the performance of your paid media with confidence is at an all-time low after Apple's iOS changes. Enter Triple Whale's Triple Pixel. Triple Pixel bridges the gap that Apple's privacy policy has created between your website and digital ad platforms. Using first-party data, you'll have the ability to more accurately attribute ad clicks from platforms like Facebook, Google, Snapchat, and TikTok to real conversions. And you can be one of the first brands in the world to experience the magic. Sign up for Triple Pixel today with a 100% money-back guarantee. Click the link in the description to get started. I wanted to ask you about content specifically, like and Bump Health. You're talking about building a media arm, very smart. What have been your big wins on the content side in your current configuration of things? Do you guys have a newsletter? Are you, you know, what you, you said you were starting a podcast? So I'll give you the short answer and the complete answer. The short answer is we have just started to scratch the surface. You know, I think the, uh, you know, I don't want to like make things up here. The, the extent of our, so, so for example, email and SMS, that channel is, you know, our second largest channel outside of paid for growth. And that's probably very in line with, you know, a lot of the listeners here. Uh, but we're only now starting to explore what that media side would look like. So 
my current thinking, again, here we are in late 2021, the latest thinking is that, you know, me and the three co-founders at the very least need to start creating more content. Now, we, we actually just had this conversation 10 days ago. So this is very fresh on our minds. But, you know, I proposed this idea. And <laughs> again, people are going to chuckle here. But just as an illustrative example, what I said to the leadership team was like, hey, look, what would it look like if we all hired a D-Rock? Gary V and the D, you know the you know D Rock who recorded everything and you know whatever it's like guys like what it, what would it look like if we all hired a D Rock and we all just started creating content and just started you know using the Gary V content pyramid to throw stuff out there that's that's probably the direction we're all going to head in now you know I think we're going to have to think about the medium you know some people are great on video some great people are great on writing we'll have to figure all that out the fact is we have to do something and then we also need to encourage our team to do the same thing. But beyond that, I think we need to start talking about, you know, what does it look like to, uh, you know, hire maybe the, the the top UGC creators for us, or maybe the top newsletters that are in like, you know, in in the space, and we'll see where that goes. I just googled Healthline's top, you know, pregnancy podcast. I could definitely see a bump podcast network because that is such a that's the deepest connection you can have with people in a lot of ways, as we're finding with this podcast. You get people in your ears for an hours at a time, and it's such. And I imagine there's so many, you know, women and 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 people looking for uh, for content around that area. It's a really neat opportunity. Absolutely. You know, the other idea that we're thinking about uh, quite a bit, and and I'll just put it here as a placeholder in case the audience has any ideas and they want to reach out to you or me about it. But you're right. We do need to create content. We do need to expand into other verticals. I, again, I really love your idea of like you know a finance card for you know your your audience but so let's just say somebody listening to this does take this to heart and does begin to set up adjacent business units let's just say you do that what you're going to run into is kind of what where we're at now so just to be clear bump health is coming up on about four years old yeah we're just coming up on that now uh, we're about 40 million dollar run rate we're profitable no outside money da, da, da. you're going to run into the same thing we are at this stage which is something like 70 percent probably gonna get in trouble for throwing this number out there, but let's throw it out there anyway. Something like 70% of the customers we have in each business unit don't know about the other business units. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And, 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 that and, is and why crazy. is that? Well, it's because in a nutshell, each business unit has been set up to be, be aggressive about its own growth. So for example, on, on the consumer side, for example, everybody's North Star there is um, subscriptions, transactions, right? You know, they're looking at Google Analytics every day and web traffic, conversion rates, yada, yada, yada. Very natural. Uh, let's Now let's look at their counterparts inside of Bump Medical. They too are thinking about revenue, but their revenue is much different. There are things you can't say because of healthcare. There's certain things you have to do, you can't do, you know, but it's at, at its core, you still use email and SMS and paid. It's all the same channels, but very different words. So here's what happens though. Each of the business units gets really good at making its own growth happen, its own profitability, its own LTV happen, right? And I'm very happy at the high, at the high level just merging it all together. But um, if you try to distract them and you say, hey, uh, we'd like to see this many patients being converted over to the consumer business. Well, A, the bump medical people don't know how to do that. And B, it kind of cannibalizes their own space. So what we're thinking about now, which I think a lot of the listeners are going to eventually come to the same uh, place is, this goes back to this idea, this legendary email that Jeff Bezos wrote to Amazon in 2002. In a nutshell, and if you Google it, you'll find it, but in a nutshell, the email said, moving forward, all business units can only talk to each other programmatically. 
You can only talk to each other via APIs. No direct data access, no meetings, nothing. It's got to be APIs. That was the beginning of Amazon Web Services. Everything was exposed via API. So the way we think about it now, and the audience is going to be forced to think about it too if they go down this path, is once you get your second business unit up, you got to start thinking about programmatically linking them across to each other. So a couple months ago, we set up our, uh, an internal team on, on the revenue side called RevOps. That's probably a good name or a bad name, depending on you know, what your industry experience is. I just like the, I like the phrase. And RevOps is beginning to be responsible for integrating businesses that we buy, but also uh, um, they are the ones responsible for setting up the systems that programmatically introduce moms from business A to business B and vice versa. Think of it as like an internal ad server. The RevOps team ingests everything that moms do from across all the business verticals. And then as emails go out and SMSs go out, there's a little ad, ad block. And that is programmatically filled out with where that particular person is in their journey. Uh, but other companies are going to have to think about this too. And that team is incentivized on the cross revenue. Bingo. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. Their, their metric is... In a nutshell, their metric is almost like a composite. It's what percentage of moms have done business with at least two of our business units. That's essentially the composite metric that they're measured on. And why is it key that it be pro programmatic? Just so that you take it out of the decision-making incentivization kind of hands? Just so it's like built into the DNA of the business? Why is it so essential that it's programmatic? Well, I, I, uh, two reasons. Number one, you know, I don't really want to have thousands of team members. <laughs> You know, uh, so so reason number one is is because like you know computers can do things a little bit you know more efficiently. But reason number two is because computers can take everything into account. So our ambition is to set up tens, hundreds of business units. I mean, right? Like, I, and I know that sounds ridiculous sometimes when you say it out loud. But you know, if we're going into this idea with the understanding that we want to, so what we talk about internally is this idea that. We want to build or buy enough business units so that eventually mom is spending six out of every $10 on the household with us, whether she knows it or not. Now that ambition, that's big. That, now you're talking about lots of business units, everything from- Grocery stores, you're talking, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll leave it up for interpretation, but it's big, right? And so at some point, you got to go programmatic. You might as well do it when you're at business unit two, three, and four- and then scale from there. It's going to be a lot easier to do it now than it is when you, you know, go down the path of setting up 10 business units and then trying to get everybody to go programmatic at that point. And specifically, you mean triggers like based on activity they take on your, you know, the top of funnel product, whatever it is, based on how they engage with that product, how they engage with the marketing, then they programmatically are introduced to new offers. Yes. Yes. Let me say this, and maybe it's applicable to your audience. Uh, and my wife hates it when I say this, but you know, the, the interesting thing that like as a capitalist, the thing I love about the industry I'm in is that clinically speaking, um, we know through peer re reviewed research, like actual research for the last hundred plus years, we know that for example, month three of pregnancy in Maine is clinically going to display the same physical and mental sort of issues and things as a month three pregnancy in Arizona. And that also goes beyond. So beyond postpartum, month 17 postpartum for mom and baby. We know clinically where she's at, where the baby's at, where the family's at, right? And so that, that's also similar to any other DTC customer. 
you know, whether it's somebody that's uh, in the dental industry or somebody that's, uh, you, you see these ideas, especially in the DT, the thing I love about the consumer business is that people, you know, humans are very predictable. <laughs> like, you know, so anyway, yeah, the, I, I just want to stress, like, these ideas are so applicable. I, I really hope people listening to this are, 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 like, replacing, every time I say Bump Health, just replace it with your company's name and, and see where your, where your head goes on it. Um, here's what I think you're going to find, by the way, because this, you know, when I, so a lot of what I do these days is recruiting a lot of what we're doing. Like our biggest barrier right now is finding, uh, motivated people across the organization that, that, that understand this vision. What you're going to find is if you do this exercise, you know, you're listening to this thing, you do this exercise and you can force yourself to stick with it for five minutes. What you're going to find is, is not only is it going to like get you thinking much bigger, and starting to kind of like, you know, you'll just start to see how the LTV can stack quickly. Um, but what you're going to find is if you can start to really stick to this, it's going to attract a certain kind of person that wants to come join you that's going to be different than maybe the traditional hires that you're making. So, for example, I guess the thing I'm trying to say is the people that can help you build these large ideas are motivated by large visions. And that's like an intangible, kind of hard to explain thing, but you'll see it when it happens. Like if you start to talk about this, like- It's the law of attraction, make- right? I don't want to be too woo-woo, but it's, it's literally, you put it out there in the universe and that idea of, of attracting the people that, that get it uh, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like Google, right? Uh, for Whether you love them or hate them, you know, they want to organize the world's data. That f- simple phrase- doesn't mean anything to most people, but for the few that really care deeply about technology and working on big problems, that is the most meaningful phrase ever. And, and, and that's the thing about like um, DTC. I just think people need to think bigger. You know, like like execution is table stakes. We know that, but everybody talks about it like it is a differentiator. The fact of the matter is, execution is table stakes. You know, let's not even discuss it because you gotta you gotta do the thing. But what is much more um, hard to measure, but important is starting to kind of like do that exercise of something bigger, attracting the people that really want to come work on a bigger thing with you. Um, it'll make your business safer, healthier, more insulated against, uh, you know, uh, issues. So, you know, for example, with us, like on the consumer side, if the next 2008 happens, we, what, what's going to happen to DTC? I think everybody knows what's going to happen to DTC, right? Like if the next 2008 happens and the consumers are all struggling to pay their bills, what do you think happens to DTC? We all know that, but nobody's doing anything about it. For us, it's like we start, we moved into the corporate side quickly because it was fast, somewhat easy, not overly complex, but it resulted in long-term annual contracts. Uh, you know, and then just out of luck, after about a year and a half of doing it, you know, unfortunately the pandemic hit, but all of a sudden, budgets for companies trying to retain employees skyrocketed skyrocketed. Now you're talking about annual contracts that are, you know, with corporations that insulates us against the consumer side of the business, you know, and you stack, stack, stack. So I just, I don't know. The media part is key too, because that's with the costs of ads going up, with the fidelity of tracking going down, like the amount that you can kind of keep people in your network. um, And especially at that top of funnel, I think is going to be hugely important. Like that's, that's really what we started with at D2C. And now we're looking, now we're expanding into products and, and, and other things as well. But uh, I see that content piece is just being absolutely critical for people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love, if you don't mind me armchair quarterbacking you guys. Yeah. Like, 
and maybe there's a, 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 an idea here for others to, you know, apply to their own businesses too. So the thing about it is that, you know, when you think about the people that listen to this podcast, they are uh, people that probably uh, are responsible for revenue, for growth, for conversions, for, you know, for traffic, for, for, for measurable things. And one of the things that'd be interesting is to try to figure out how do you get them to plug in that data and give you, you know, maybe maybe there's a way for you guys to like connect into their Google Analytics and their Shopify's and their Amazon Seller Centrals, you know, and, and in aggregate, roll the data up because nobody really has that data right now. Nobody, like, what is the average conversion rate for DTC? I don't know. Imagine having that data. That would be, yeah, extremely interesting. And it's also it's also the access to these marketers, you know, just there, there's just yeah, there's so much value in this space and it's really trying to think about the ways that we can get right up next to that value, whether it's becoming a bank, whether it's becoming a community, you know, there's there's all sorts of interesting opportunities. Well, I mean, look at look at the bet. I mean, consumers aren't going to like stop going to, you know, like like DTC's only getting bigger. I mean, maybe that's like I know that's a cliche, right? But but the reality is, you know, it's only getting bigger and the skill set the skill set of the people that listen to this podcast is going to become increasingly valuable to industries that are not right now considered to be DTC like that's the real upside like I, if i had to throw numbers against this i would say 5% of the industries uh, out there right now have some sort of DTC component or thinking to them that means there's probably another 90 95% of businesses that need to start thinking about this. Whether they know it or not, whether they're going to do it in the next month or the next decade, that's unclear. But this particular audience is going to lead the way. Um, it, it's inevitable. That, that's, that's the thing. It is inevitable. You know, I, well, I, you know, you guys know better than me and I'm rambling here, but like consumer behavior is not going to go back to what it was. Like we're not going to be like, you know, I, I really would rather just go get in the car, drive an hour to Nordstrom's and go buy a shirt. Like that, that is not where we're going. Our e-commerce has grown like was it ten? They said ten years in ten months. It's come down a little bit, but I, I looked at it right at the start of the pandemic, and there was still like China is still 30, 40, 50 percent higher in terms of e-commerce penetration. So you know, even though we bumped up a lot with the pandemic, we're still not even close not close to where China is or some other parts of the world. Absolutely, that you know um, the other hat I wear. Uh, we've my wife and I have got about three thousand portfolio companies um, across, you know, the internet space, uh, and we've seen the same thing too. It's like our international companies, particularly in places like India and and you know, Southeast Asia, like their usage numbers in certain consumer cases are like astronomical compared to what we see in the United States. That, that to me, that means there's still a lot of upside here, a lot of upside here. And, and this was the part we didn't have time to talk. I'll have to have you back on to talk about this a little bit more. But even just that other piece of the puzzle we haven't talked about, which is capital and access to capital. I imagine this sideline where you've invested in so many different businesses has just, has A, given you that access to capital. And that's 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 got to be one of the secret weapons here too, right? Uh, in terms of what? In terms of... Uh... Well, because with your growth plans for the next phase, I feel like access to capital for your business is going to be... Are you going to bootstrap it all the way to 200 million? Uh, well, two hundred billion is a goal, uh, but billion, yeah, yeah, goal, yeah. Um, I, I get well. The, the direct answer is is like we haven't raised any money. We will not raise money. You know, even though I've always said publicly and privately that I will backstop the company, the company has not taken even my own capital since the beginning. Like we are, we will remain profitable. Uh, and I think that like that discipline forces us to make very calculated decisions about things we do. Um, 
But, you know, we're also at this interesting point now where, for example, when we wanted to go from 2 million to 4 million, right? Because we want to 2x every year, right? Well, you know, you can push buttons a little faster, you can split test a little more aggressively, and you can get there. Uh, but now, you know, we're going to end this year just around a $40 million run rate. And it's like, well, how do I get to 80? Because pushing buttons and split testing alone, it's still important. It's not going to get me there faster. I, I got to like take bigger and bigger bets here, but do it in a uh, um, consciously profitable way. And we're going to figure that out. But I do want to like, I want to tell everybody though, that like, Capital is not the differentiator that you think it is. You know, here I am 15 years after my first angel investment, and I'm telling you we've got 3,000 portfolio companies. The truth of the matter is our failure rate, my failure rate on the portfolio side is just like any other venture capitalist, you know, uh, 90% of those companies will fail, that sort of thing. So I want to dispel any sort of myth with the audience that, hey, like access to capital is a big deal. That's not true at all. In fact, speed is the only, only intellectual property that DTC companies have. Let me just kind of say that more, let me just say it one more time. Speed is the only intellectual property that any DTC company has. It's not capital, it's not uh, the widget, it's not whatever. Like if you make something good, people are gonna copy it. If you uh, raise money for your thing, somebody else is gonna raise 10 times more. If you're gonna, you know, the only differentiator you have is speed. Um, I like to tell people, you know, there, <laughs> I think there's a Slack bot at our company that just basically, repeats everything I say because I just repeat it so often. But one of the things I say to everybody is like, look around you. We are not the smartest people in the room by any means. You know, hell, the people listening to this podcast are probably way smarter in certain areas than we are. But the reason why we dominate our verticals is because we move faster in a given time period than anybody else remotely, remotely. Can With a vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate that compliment. Um, I think the thing is that like, it's a chicken and the egg thing. You know, you know, execution is really important, but by, by aligning everybody around this larger vision, like, shouldn't it be easier for you to be a mom? Shouldn't it be easier to, to do these things? Like you get everybody aligned and now they're all making decisions aligned with that purpose. They're moving faster. Like when I think about a metric that doesn't get hit, right? Like I'm not disappointed in you for missing your target, but you know, the, the, the inevitable question that comes up because of the culture we have is, is like, are we comfortable knowing that we did, weren't able to help a certain number of moms because of whatever issue it was? You know, and you start to get people to be self-accountable to that. Um, maybe that's the other part about DTC too, is that it's about finding the story and, 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 and uh, um, articulating it over and over and over again because it publicly, because it attracts the people that kind of want to come work on these bigger things with you, but it also keeps everybody aligned over the longer term. You know, we've, headcount is double. I mean, three years ago, there's like four of us sitting around a table. Then, you know, then all of a sudden it went to like 20, then it went to like 40, and then it went to 100. And you're like, what? Like, I'm looking up and there's new people starting on Mondays that I, yeah, I'm like, what, what organization are you in? <laughs> you know, but I, I think if I could give uh, people one more piece of tactical advice, it would be just pick a North Star Pick, uh, you know, don't be romantic about how you make your money. Don't be romantic about how you, you know, pick a North Star, uh, whether that's a conversion rate, whether that's a transaction number, uh, a revenue number, whatever it is, and put it up on the wall. You know, um, I was telling you right before the show, I built a Chrome extension for this, and we'll get to that in a moment. But to be honest with you, when we started the thing, my, my co-founder, Christine, wrote on a whiteboard, literally wrote 20 mil in 2020, 
like this was years ago, but the, like we still have that one little whiteboard. Nobody's allowed to erase it. Um, but for the first two or three years when, you know, things were hard and, you know, we're fighting with vendors, we're fighting with everybody, like that was the North Star. It was like, we are going to get there. We're going to get there. And then when we crossed that number, like mid-year last year, we were like, well, now what? <laughs> um, but that that North Star keeps you honest. I want to plug that tool and I want to, and I want to use it myself. But first I want to ask one of our standard questions and I want to bump it up to a hundred thousand in this case. So you, you, with your business where it's at, if we were to not invest, if we were just to grant a hundred thousand dollars, where would you apply that in your suite of businesses right now to see the most growth? I would probably go recruit. I'd probably go recruit four or five. Like there are, six roles on the revenue team that I intend to recruit in the first 90 days of 2022. Um, and that's where I would spend that money. Uh, you know, I love it. And, and if we do what we're supposed to do, which is probably start a D to C jobs board, you could be paying that right back to us. I'll commit to you on the podcast <laughs> that as soon as that thing's up, I will put all of our positions up there. I'll pay you whatever you need. I, I feel like that's a hidden pillar for what we're doing is to is to be able to offer that talent pool thing. I, I think there's probably that. There's maybe training. There's, you know. Uh, oh, we already got training. Yeah. Scale school. We've, got, we've launched our first course. Oh, I love it. Uh, I love gonna, it. We're going to take over the world and we're going to stay in touch because this was super awesome. If people want to follow you, where do you recommend they do that? Uh, yeah, I'm Paul Singh on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, if you if you prefer email, Paul at bumphealth.com uh, is the easiest way to reach me there. Uh, my DMs are open. I'm based just outside of D.C., Washington, D.C., here in Virginia. Our, our company's in Illinois. I'm out there every Monday, Tuesday. So if you're in either one of those physical areas, drop me a line. We'll get some coffee and uh, say hello. And what is the what is the uh, the the browser called? No, sorry, the uh, add-on. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So there's a, a free Chrome extension that I released a couple days or a couple weeks ago called North Star. So if you go to the Chrome extension store, um, you'll you can find it there. North Star. You can go to my website, resultsjunkies.com, and you'll see it on the left side there. North Star. Basically, what it does is that. Years ago, when I when I was starting the, uh, to work on this, I just wanted to keep an eye on our Google Analytics. You know this North Star idea that I just mentioned to you a few minutes ago, and uh, I just had a really rudimentary Chrome extension that just popped it on the, the transaction data onto every new tab in Chrome for me. Somebody I'd been doing it for years, and then somebody a couple of weeks ago saw it over my shoulder and was like, "Hey, I want that." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll clean it up and put it out there." So it's a free extension, uh, connects into your Google Analytics, uh, puts it on your display, on your new tabs. The data is private, does not leave your browser. I'm not storing it or anything like that. It's all free. Uh, it'll have um, Amazon Seller Central support next week and Shopify support in about two weeks. But again, like whether you use that tool or something else, uh, just have a North Star, you know, and, and uh, be ruthless about getting to that number. That speed is the only differentiator you got. So own it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.